Amen. Amen. Okay, why God the Son became a man. You know, it's John 1, 1 starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in uh, verse 14, he says, the Word became flesh. And so when things get tough and you feel battered and beaten, you remember the Word became flesh. It's going to be okay. Our king's going to come back. No matter how bad it gets, our king is going to come back. He's going to take care of us. The word became flesh. The word is God, and the word became flesh. Okay? And so why God the Son became a man? We talked about last week because he loves us. You know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. By the way, if you're not giving, don't tell people you love them. Okay, uh, Trinity Bible Fellowship, we got, we got some, some hurting people in the church right now. And we don't have the biggest financial fund in the world, but how can we tell people we love them if they're in genuine need and we don't help them? But because God loved, he gave. What did he give? He gave the greatest gift. He gave us his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send the, his son into the world to condemn us, we condemned ourselves by our sin. Instead, he sent his son into the world to save us, okay? And so the, the uh, first two reasons God sent his son, uh, the son of God became a man. Why? Because God loves us and to die for us. He sent this, God, the son became a man to die for us and to save us from our sins. He came to be the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice for our sins. Anything, anything other than God being sacrificed, we're still in our sins. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people wonder, oh, how could Jesus only suffer on the cross six hours and that cover our eternal damnation, our eternal punishment? How could six hours? Hey, think about who's on the cross. That's the infinite God became a man to die on the cross for our sins to save finite humans like us. All of us put together and all the years put together doesn't even come close to the worth of the infinite God, the ultimately worthy God. So don't ever, don't ever diminish the work of Christ and don't ever diminish the person of Christ. He is God, the Son, become a man. And so he came to die for us and to save us from our sins he also came to defeat death for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he died on the feast of Passover, John tells us. This is celebrating the Passover lamb. If you take the blood of the lamb, put it on the door, you were passed over for judgment, and your firstborn son was not killed by the angel of death. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, he is the Passover lamb. Okay? I mean, down the block, those guys, those Catholic guys, they say every Sunday, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Well, I hope they believe that. I said that, you know, 20 years of my life and didn't even believe it, okay? And by the way, when they say it, unfortunately, they're, they're talking about the host. Behold the Lamb of God. The host isn't the Lamb of God. King Jesus is, okay? He's the Lamb of God. Died on the cross for our sins, but then he rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits is when you gave the first, you donated the, 
the first of your crops to the, for the Lord's service as a down payment that everything else you own belongs to the Lord, okay? So the feast of the first fruits, Jesus' resurrection is a down payment guaranteeing the resurrection of all believers. Just read John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40, okay? Jesus has the resurrection and the life. Our resurrection is guaranteed by King Jesus. All you got to do is trust in him. You put your trust in King Jesus. And, um, and it's going to get tougher. It's going to get hot in the kitchen. You tell somebody you're a Christian, you're not going to say, oh, well, I'm real happy for you. Boy, that's good. You know, it's probably report you to the authorities in the near future. Okay? And right now, we got a good year right now. Uh, you know what? And not financially, you know, inflation's up, things like that. But those in positions of power want to get reelected. So they got to be a little bit careful. They don't want to upset too many of us. So we might get a little bit of good treatment for another year or so, but who knows what's going to happen after that. And um, uh, we got Secret Service in this country that spies on our, you know, they decide to go to traditional Catholic churches to spy. Why? Were there Catholic gangs walking around the streets beating people up? You know, I don't like that they say the rosary, but I, I, I don't fear, you know, people coming out of Catholic mass like, oh, wow, these people, these are ter potential terrorists. But that's the way the FBI thinks, at least the leadership of it. And um, so we got to remember, things get bad. You look at they lock you up, put cuffs on you for preaching Jesus. You can just look at them and smile and say, the word became flesh. Okay, God the Son became a man. Jesus is Lord. Okay, I don't care. You can have the most powerful person on the planet Earth could walk in up here right now, and I'm still going to tell him Jesus is Lord. Amen. You don't bow before King Jesus, you lose. Okay, and uh, so God the Son became a man because he loves us, and he came to die for us and save us from our sins. And he came to defeat death for us. Now, if you look at John 1, 17, he also came to teach us truth, to teach us truth. Now, now keep in mind that number two is in boldface. That's the main reason why Jesus came, was to die for us and to save us from our sins. He took our punishment for us. He paid the penalty for our sins, okay? Remember, God's totally just. He cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Jesus paid the price in full on the cross for our sins. And, uh, but he also came, there's other reasons why he came as well, which may not be as important as the number one reason, which is number two, to die for us and save us from our sins, but he also came to teach us truth. John 1:17. for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he came to teach us truth. It's like he has a lot of statements like uh, uh, John 6, 47, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has what? Eternal life. Okay? But he says, truly, truly. So he sometimes he translated, amen, amen, or most assuredly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say. It's just, it's just saying, eh? he is saying, truly, truly, I say. He's telling him, look, what I'm telling you is the truth. And you have to understand, this is not in your notes. If you've got a pen, you might want to write this down. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God to man. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God to man. I wish Muhammad got that memo. 
Muhammad acted like he could add on. All, you know, once the Lord, the Old Testament points forward, someday Messiah will come. The New Testament, the Gospels, Messiah is here. This is what he did for us, okay? This is what he taught. This is what he did for us. And then in the book of Acts, the early church, and then letters, but it's an all an unfolding what about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done. But, you know, God could reveal himself to us through merely human prophets. Okay, God could reveal himself through taking these merely human prophets and later on apostles and their colleagues, and God could guide them to record his word without error. That's some really good revelation. But the greatest revelation of God to man is God the Son becoming one of us. And he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, okay? He didn't come in sinful flesh. In other words, he did not have a sin nature. He was conceived without a sin nature. But having the likeness of sinful flesh, he could suffer. I don't know if Jesus ever had back pain, but I know he went through a lot of pain when he was scourged and when he was crucified, okay? Uh, Jesus was tired, weary, hungry, okay? The word became flesh. And we feel like sometimes, God, if you only knew what I'm going through. Not only does God know what you're going through, but apart from our sin, God went through it himself. God the Son became a man. But he came full of grace to save um, and truth to teach us. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was a great man, great prophet, but he was merely a man. And he gave us the law, and the law is good. The law is God's holy standards. Problem is, we fallen humans cannot obey God's perfect law from the heart. And so the law reveals God's holiness and man's sinfulness. It becomes a tutor, a substitute teacher, Galatians 3.24, to lead us to Christ. Okay? So Moses could give us the law. The law condemns and tells us you need a Savior. But grace saves. Okay, you know, Amazing Grace, you know that song? Was it John Newton? The guy was a horrible, ruthless, cold-blooded slave owner. And then he had some financial misfortune, misfortunes. And he used to, you know, do slave trade and have, he ran ships with slaves on it. He became a slave. And when he came to Christ, he thought, what a wretched man I am. It's hard to believe that God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's charity is so powerful, it could save a wretch like me. But you know what? John Newton, before he got saved, um, uh, the Apostle Paul, he used to kill Christians before he got saved and get him arrested and all. Uh, even the Adolf Hitlers of this world. There's no sin that's so big that our God is not even bigger still. That's kind of a paraphrase in a Corey Ten Boom's sister's quote. But God is bigger than any sin we commit. God can save us, okay? But we've got to turn him. Now, now. Jesus saves, loves us enough to save us in the midst of our sin, but he loves us too much 
to leave us there. But not only did he come to save us from our sins, but he came to reveal, to be the fullest revelation of God to man. He came to teach us. How many times do people walking around and say, that have never read the Bible say, yeah, well, I just figured I'd go the extra mile. And they tell, they tell us, hey, take that log out of your eye before you try to take the splinter out of my eye. And these people don't even know they're quoting, hey, it's better to give than receive. These people don't even know they're quoting Jesus. You know? That's why I was joking with uh, my Christian students when uh, somebody had played uh, at one of our chapels that, that song, um, uh, it's basically the, Our Fa- the words of the Our Father. And they try to stick to it as close as they can. It's a new song on the Christian radio. And so I told my students, I said, man, the guy who wrote those lyrics had to be a genius. And they said, they said oh, you think so? You know, it's, and it's like, it's, duh. This is, Jesus wrote those lyrics, okay? And uh, uh, I love when we see Create in Me a Clean Heart, and we sing from the Psalms. It was King David. Lyrics are so good. 3,000 years later, in probably uh, 100 to 150 different languages, they're still singing King David stuff. You know, imagine if a guy like that was alive today. Rock star, poet, great thinker, best warrior on the planet Earth. I mean, he had everything going for him. And what did he do? He fell into sin. Okay? He was a man after God's own heart, and he fell into sin. But Jesus came to teach us truth. If you got room on there, if you want to write down, I summarized Jesus' teachings in six points. Okay? He came to teach about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, okay? He came to teach us how to have experienced godly living or spirit-filled living or true spirituality. That's the Sermon on the Mount, how you live a godly life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he taught about the kingdom of God. We're going to spend more time on that later. The kingdom of God. He taught us true spirituality or spirit-filled living, Then he taught us that he is God, he is Savior, he is Messiah, and he's coming back. Okay? Now, by the way, the kingdom of God, the first one, that's really what Jesus taught. Everything else unfolds from that. Because the kingdom of God talks about the fact that the present stage of God's kingdom is is spiritually here right now, the spiritual present stage of God's kingdom. You might be thinking, how could the kingdom of God be here? Well, Paul said it is. Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Jesus is reigning right now spiritually in the hearts of believers. When we bear the fruit of the Spirit through the power of Jesus, that's that's the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something, in a dark culture, dark culture needs the light of God's kingdom, okay? You ever see that guy or that gal that once they walk into the room, it's like every all eyes are on them. It's, wow, what a cool person. Well, let me tell you something. When you or I walk into a room, we ought to be so filled with the Spirit that even if people don't want to admit it, it's like, man, I want what that guy wants. Or if they don't want Jesus, I hate that guy. I don't even know him, but I hate him. Why is he being so nice? You know, 
But, um, you know, I ask my students sometimes, how is, the, how is Jesus displayed in your life? How has Jesus been displayed in your life this past week? You know, sometimes I ask myself that. And sometimes I think, man, you know, I was watching college football all day, staying home. It's a good thing I went to McDonald's to pick up one of those sandwiches that probably took a few years off my life expectancy, but at least I got to say, God bless you. I, by the way, when I go through the drive-thru, I know who the Christians are, and I know who the non, non-Christians who are open to the gospel, and I know who the non-Christians who are not open to the gospel. Just by telling them, God bless you and be safe, I start finding out. And, and by the way, even the ones who are not open to the gospel still think it's nice that a guy wishes God's blessings on them and, and wants them to be safe. Um, but as time goes on, you start, you know, the ones when you say God bless you and be safe and it's a, a kid and, and they're like, yeah, you, you too, brother. You know, so I would say, oh, okay, I'm, uh, I'm with family right now. And, uh, um, but as you get to know some of the people, you know, um, you find out what church they go to. Um, there's an elderly lady there works hard. She's got three jobs. Wow. I told her, I, I said, sister, you're, you're what makes America great. You know why she works three jobs? Because she has to work three jobs to pay the bills and take care of her family. So she works at McDonald's, she works at the hospital, and she works at the schools. So if you ask her during the summer, she'll say she's got two jobs. Because she's off during the summer, okay? But this is a lady that that is just like, you know, I guess no man in a home, and she's just got to do what she's got to do. And I found out that, you know, I'm praying for her, because I asked her, what church you go? She said, I used to... He used to go to Frankie Coleman's church. I said, oh, Frankie's a good friend of mine and stuff like that. And she said, but now i got to work on Sundays. I said, well, I'll be praying for you that something opens up because uh, you got to get that fellowship and all and stuff like that. But, but um, the Trinity Bible Fellowship, when, brothers and sisters, when people see us, do they see Jesus? Just a little glimpse of Jesus, maybe. Yeah. Okay, we got to call. You can't. You can't just. You know, the guys are trying it. They're just preaching on a street corner. I don't know, guys. I guess God's word won't return void. If the guy's not a heretic, God will do something. But most people are not responsive to that. So you got to kind of build relationships with people in this computer age. Everything is so depersonalized. You got to build relationships with people and plant seed. And it's going to be hard to convince them that God loves them if you don't show them that you love them, okay? But how is Jesus displayed in your life? He came to teach us truth. So the kingdom of God, the present spiritual stage of God's kingdom is the fruit of the Spirit being produced in the lives of believers, okay? You don't think there's evidence for God's... I mean, there are guys I actually come up to, I have dialogues with, that before I knew Jesus, I probably would have smacked them. But because it's after I know Jesus, I think, wow, this guy's got issues. Let me, I need to pray for this guy, you know? And uh, King Jesus, man, he can break down that wall. He can make peace. There's a lot of people here, your lives have been changed. You weren't... 
you weren't who you were, who you are now before you knew Christ because you're a new creation in Christ. And so that's the, the kingdom of God, okay? Now, point number five, Jesus also came to bring God's kingdom to earth. So the physical future stage of God's kingdom has yet to come, okay? So the amillennialists who deny that Jesus will literally reign on earth, all they're focused on is the, the kingdom right now. But what is the idea? Our Father says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Only little bits So when Christians have a good day and we bear fruit. Other than that, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're to pray that God's kingdom come and that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so look at Revelation 11.15. Revelation 11.15. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. So the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay? So the kingdom of God will come to earth. You read Revelation chapter 20 in its entirety, and uh, it's talking about Jesus reigning on earth with the church for a thousand years, reigning on the earth, with the saints, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. We're going to be able to eat with Abraham, Jesus says. The 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years. Read Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, when Jesus returns, okay, right after announcing an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, then Jesus returns and then reigns on earth for a thousand years while Satan is chained up. So that's one of the reasons why God the Son became a man, to bring the, God's kingdom to earth. So God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the spiritual sense, it's here already in the hearts of believers. But there is still a physical future aspect to God's kingdom when Jesus returns and reigns upon the earth. So Jesus taught us the kingdom of God and then true spirituality, Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, Spirit-Filled Living, okay? Um, but then, of course, Jesus taught us that he is God. He's the Savior. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He taught us that he's God. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was. He wasn't saying, before Abraham was born, I was born. Jesus is talking about his divine nature. No beginning. He's eternal. And he taught us that he is the Jewish Messiah. It's really crazy, too, because Jesus wouldn't walk around saying, I'm the Jewish Messiah. Okay? He didn't use that word. Why wouldn't he use that word? Well, because the Jews, their view, their ex messianic ex expectancy, they were looking for a military, political, conquering Messiah. And Jesus is like, that's not till I come the second time. First time I'm coming not to, not to be glorious and to ride a white stallion and to conquer the Romans and to establish the Jews as the greatest nation on earth. The first time I'm coming, 
I'm coming to be humiliated and beaten and battered and killed for the sins of my people, the Jewish people, and anyone else who will believe. Okay? So he couldn't go around saying he was the Messiah. Tell us if you're the Messiah. I mean, he's like, you know, look, dude, I'm raising the dead. Nobody's got my resume. A man born blind, he sees now. Okay? But Jesus called himself the son of man. One like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven from Daniel 7. The Jewish religious leaders couldn't make heads or tails. Who is this character from heaven? Okay? So Jesus used that title, the son of man, to define his own ministry, to define uh, who he is. Okay? Now, Jesus eventually, quote, unquote, came out of the closet and acknowledged he is the Messiah. He would, he would acknowledge it behind closed doors when Peter so said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. When the Samaritan woman said, well, we're expecting the Messiah, and he said, well, you're looking at him, okay? Uh, when he's on trial before the high priest, are you the Messiah, the son of the living God? He's like, I am. And you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. And the high priest was so moved by that, except he hated God. But he was so moved by it, he tore his clothes and said, what more do we need? He spoke blasphemy. He needs to be executed. We need to kill him. By the way, that is a reasonable response to Jesus. The only two reasonable responses to Jesus, because God, the Son, became a man, the Word became flesh. The only two responses are you either bow before him and you worship him or you hate him. And you go into demonic rage, okay? This idea that Jesus is this manageable deity, or maybe he's just a great man, okay? Listen, they don't nail nice guys to a cross, okay? And Jesus ticked off a lot of people, but some of us need to understand, he didn't tick off a lot of people because he was obnoxious or rude, he ticked off a lot of people because he preached the truth, okay? So don't be, don't be coming to me and telling me, man, I, I, got a, I got beat up three times for Jesus this week, you know? If you're an obnoxious jerk, you're lucky you only got beat up three times, okay? But if you're speaking the truth in love and people start whooping on you, great is your reward in heaven, Okay? But Jesus taught he is God, he is Savior, he's the Messiah. How did he announce that he was the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one who's going to rescue Israel? He rode a donkey, not a white stallion. White stallion, that comes amidst the clouds when he returns in power and glory. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. And they said, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the thing is, you or I, we, we could have rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on that day. And everybody would have looked and thought, eh, whatever, you know. But this was the guy who rose the dead, who gave sight to the blind, and the deaf hear. And so when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, they said, it's, he's here. The time of our redemption has come. True, but a spiritual redemption. The physical redemption, we're still waiting for that, you know. And... Uh, uh, but whatever the case, he thought he's God, Savior, Messiah. And then he told us he's coming back, like Matthew 24. The whole Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. He 
talked about how he's going to come back. Book of Zechariah says he's going to come back and land on the Mount of Olives and then enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate and basically win the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, but Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to earth. This is why Job said in Job 19.25, Job, before any of the Bible was written, in the midst of his sufferings, okay, in Job 19.25, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. In the next verse, he says, I know that in my flesh I will see God. He believed that the, most, the, the Savior would come to earth, take his stand on the earth, rule on earth, and that Job knew his, his body would be resurrected. Okay? And he didn't even have any of the Bible. So I don't know if that was from the preaching of Melchizedek, because he was probably, Job was probably contemporary of Abraham. Okay? And uh, but Jesus came to teach us truth and to bring God's kingdom to earth. One of the, a lot of people's favorite uh, Old Testament prophecies of Jesus to, to quote during the Christmas season is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It tells us something about this babe born in a manger. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He hasn't taken charge of the government yet. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You could translate that, Everlasting Creator, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He's going to rule everything. God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let me tell you something. Where's the throne of David? It's not in heaven. It's in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and establish Israel as the greatest nation on earth and then rule over the entire world. Let me say something, too. I know Palestinian Christians. That doesn't mean the Jewish government is infallible. Obviously, the terrorist things that Hamas did is ruthless and cold-blooded. Nobody should support it. When our college presidents and college campuses do, that's just horrific, okay? At the same time, if we're going to bless Israel, we should hold them accountable like we hold our own government accountable, okay? And, um, but the Jewish people, we should love the Jewish people. We should love the Palestinian people. We should love everybody. Uh, another point I want to make, God does not need our help. You pray for Israel, but um, it's not, you know, if you're buying firearms to protect your family, fine. Don't buy firearms to win the Battle of Armageddon. Peter made that mistake. He tried to start Armageddon when Jesus knocked all the Roman soldiers down by saying, I am, and then they slowly got up, and Peter's like, oh, Jesus is real depressed. And he keeps talking about dying. I'll start Armageddon. He'll finish it. So he took a sword and tried to take out the head of the high priest servant, whose name was Malchus, got saved later on, and uh, cut off the guy's ear. And Jesus ended up healing him. And Jesus said, look, you know, I'm gonna, I'll give you the Phil Fernandez paraphrase of what Jesus said to Peter. He said, look, 
hey, bro, I don't need your help. I told you to carry swords to protect yourselves. Okay, anytime I want, I got millions upon millions of angelic beings who any one of them alone would crush the entire Roman army. Okay, and, uh, but Peter was not as dumb as we think by doing that. You know, 600 Roman soldiers all, and he's like, um, at least he understood Jesus' power. He understood 600 trained Roman soldiers and one Jesus, we win. Okay? Um, it just, he started Armageddon like 2,000 years too early. Or tried, tried to. And, um, um, but, um, you know, and so whatever the case, Jesus showed that he was the Messiah by entering Jerusalem on a donkey, and they thought, okay, this is great, because now he's going to beat up on the pagans on behalf of the Jews. Instead, he went into the temple and the court of the Gentiles and beat up on Jews on behalf of the Gentiles, because his house, the temple, is supposed to be a house of prayer, and Gentiles, the closest they could get would be the court of the Gentiles, and they should have, should have seen Jews who were willing to pray with them and teach them about the God of Israel. Instead, they saw Jews ripping off other Jews, all in the name of religion. Okay? That's why Jesus tells us today, the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. If the world comes in and we're having fistfights here, believe me, they can watch better fistfights Friday and Saturday nights at bars than they're going to get in a church. But if they see us loving one another, true loving community, I mean true love, a true loving community, that's found in the called out assembly, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus is going to come and he's going to sit on the throne of David and bring the kingdom of God to earth and rule over the entire world. And that's point five there. Um, so, and that runs right into point nine and then we'll get, we'll back up after that. But um, in point nine there, he came to, the God the Son became a man. One of the reasons um, was to rescue Israel from her enemies. In his second coming, he's going to do that. Look at Zechariah 14. Zechariah chapter 14. This was written about 500 years before Jesus walked the earth. Zechariah 14. In verses 1 to 5, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So when the day of the Lord comes, all nations are going to be invading uh, Israel and trying to destroy Jerusalem like the Babylonians did. And... Um, the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the woman ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth. This is at the day of the Lord when Jesus returns and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. I love being on the Mount of Olives. Me and my wife, we just... You can visit the Garden of Gethsemane where they got trees over 2,000 years old. Trees, a tree that Jesus, and the trees, the 
on the bottom, they're like they're like almost flat, and then they start going up. So Jesus could have spent the night sleeping on one of those trees. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, from the mountain for the mountain valley shall reach uh, to Azel. And yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come. Elohim, uh, it's Yahweh and Elohim there. Then, then the, thus the Lord, whenever you see Lord with all capital letters, that's their translating Yahweh, the I am who I am, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Some translations say all the saints with him. Okay, and um, but whatever the case, what you have here is that one of the reasons why God the Son became a man was to establish God's kingdom on earth and to rescue his chosen nation, Israel, from her enemies. Now, when you read Romans 11, 25 to 27, we don't have time to do that today, but Paul says the day will come when the deliverer will come and all Israel will be saved. The hardening of the hearts will be removed from the Jews and all Israel will come to Christ. That's the final domino to usher in the second coming of Christ to the planet Earth is when they acknowledge, you know, they're, they're about to be wiped out and then the sun is darkened, according to Matthew 24, 29 and 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they're like, man, this is the end of the world. And they're going to wipe the Jewish nation off the face of the earth. We live thousands of years without even owning a piece of the land. Now we're back in our land. They're going to wipe us out. And our Messiah, Yahweh let us down. Our Messiah never came, and it's going to click. And the Bible says God's going to be giving visions and dreams to the young and the old. And all of a sudden it's going to click. What if... Those Christians were right. What if the carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus, is the Messiah? And once they acknowledge that and they cry out to him, and this is all Israel being saved, this is after so many of the Jewish people have been slaughtered. Believe me, if Adolf Hitler killed six million Jews and if Stalin killed millions of Jews, the Antichrist is going to be worse than that. Okay, but by the way, there's only about, what, 20 million Jews on the face of the earth. So, um, but in the end, the ones that are left, uh, all Israel will be saved. They'll cry out to the Messiah. And um, we don't have time to look at it, but the last few verses of Hosea chapter 5 and the first few verses of Hosea chapter 2 talk about that, where the Lord says, uh, okay, you rejected me, I'm going to go back to where I came from, going back to heaven. Um, and uh, until you cry out, you know, for two days you have beaten us, but then the Lord's going to come back and, and give us joy on that third day, you know. And I don't even know if the days are symbolic, you know, a thousand years or whatever. If that's the case, you better be ready. Because since Jesus left planet Earth, it's been... A, about 2,000 years. But whatever the case, uh, when the people cry out to him, his people cry out to him, the 
king will come back and rescue Israel um, from her enemies. Um, so Jesus came to teach the truth. He, uh, I said he was the fullest revelation of God to man. Uh, look at John 1.18. John chapter 1, verse 18. And John says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So when Jesus came to teach truth, number four, he also came to reveal the Father to us, to reveal God to us. That's number seven on your notes. In John 14, 9, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He's not saying I'm the same person as the Father, but as God the Son become a man, I perfectly represent God the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, you just look at me. You know, I've actually had people who claim to be Christians say, I wonder what it would be like if God became a man. I'm like, dude, you're not even saved. Okay, um, it's like God did become a man. His name is Jesus. You want to know what God would be like if he became a man? Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you want to know, gee, wow, this is crazy. What, is that, what does that all mean? Well, then you just start reading the rest of the New Testament, and it'll be explained for you, okay? And um, it's been helping. The Bible has been helping people, Old and New Testament combined, for 2,000 years to personally know God and to walk with him and to serve him. And the Bible says we're complete in Christ. So what do we do? We come up with some new bandwagon, because we're just not content with King Jesus. Be content with Jesus and his word. And uh, so Jesus came to teach truth to us, to reveal the Father to us, to bring God's kingdom to earth, to rescue Israel from her enemies. So he's going to bring the kingdom physically to earth when he returns. Okay? Um, he also came, point number six there, to set an example for us. Set an example for us. Look at Philippians chapter 2, and, you know, I have preached entire sermons on this one passage. In fact, books have been written on this one passage. But Philippians chapter 2, chapter 2 starts, and, Verses 1 and 2 where Paul says, hey, you know what? Make my joy complete by being united, being a one mind. So he wants us to be united. God wants Trinity Bible Fellowship to be united. Amen. Wants us to be a family, okay? Well, how, how do we be united? Well, 3 and 4 tell us. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Be humble. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Now, the Philippians might say, okay, all right, so you want me to put others' needs before my own. What does that mean? What does that look like? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. And he starts in verse 5. Let this mind, he told them, be a one mind. Let this be, mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 
Are you walking around with the mind of Christ? Because there's an awful lot of time when I'm thinking, you know what? I've been walking around for the past two hours with the mind of Phil Fernandez. <laughs> and to put it bluntly, it stinks. Okay? I need to have the mind of Christ. See, see, if you build your own kingdom, that's your own mind, your own agenda. When you sign on a dotted line and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you for salvation, you say, I want you to renew my mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to put on the mind of Christ. I want to live to build Jesus' kingdom, not my own. Okay? I want my life, my thoughts, my words, my attitude, my actions to be all about God's agenda, to be all about the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of man that fall apart. Well, do you want to be, have that, have the mind of Christ? Because if, if we all come in here with our own minds, we got a whole bunch of different agendas. But if we come here with one mind, the mind of Christ, we have unity. By the way, it's false to say the world can't have one mind. They can have one mind. They can follow the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. They can follow Lucifer and come together on his agenda. And anytime you think you see evidence of that and you point it out, you get called a conspiracy nut. And so you just have to shut up and go away so people don't, don't laugh at you. You're getting too close. They're saying, you know, it's like you're getting too close to exposing our kingdom. This is why Jesus told the Jewish religious leaders, your father's not Abraham, your father's the devil. And he was a liar and a thief and a murderer from the beginning. You start exposing that stuff, you get in trouble. Okay? That's why uh, the, the list of people who had contacts with that Epstein guy, that's exposing a little bit of the kingdom of darkness. Now, there's a black book that the FBI has, and that gives, tells why there were meetings with different people. And uh, don't expect to see that in our lifetime. It come, why? It comes too close to exposing the kingdom of the evil one. And there's, they're, they're starting to build one mind, Satan's agenda. They're starting to build that. The mystery of lawlessness is at work. The man of sin is behind the curtains, the Antichrist waiting to be revealed. And in the meantime, what can we do? We can toss off our own minds, our own agendas, and take on the mind of Christ. How do you take on the mind of Christ? You study God's word, you pray, uh, and you, you, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, obey God's word through love and faith in action. Okay? And so Paul says, you want to know how to be humble and um, uh, to place the needs of others? Well, you should have the same mind that, that Jesus had, who, being in the form of God, in other words, that's present tense, who, although he continues to be God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And some translations differ a little, but... It just basically means, look, he either he knew he was God or it meant even though he was God, he didn't cling to his equal privileges as God. 
But instead, what did he do? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's not only the, the most horrible way to die, that's why we invented the word excruciating. Excruciating pain comes from the word crucifixion. It's not only the most horrible way to die, it's also the most shameful way to die. I am so happy that whenever we make movies about Jesus, we, we, we have the Roman soldiers leaving his underwear on him. Okay? Fact of the matter is they want to shame you in public. Jesus was nailed to a cross naked. Now keep in mind, the cross is probably a tree that they built a beam on, so you got, you, it goes right back to the garden with the tree, being naked, the shame, okay? And then the fall produces thorns. I mean, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there at Calvary. And then he gets, he prepared to go there by praying in a garden. And he was buried in a garden tomb, okay? Um, no coincidences. No coincidences. I mean, you turn on the news or you go online, look at the news, it looks like, man, everything is out of control. Everything is going crazy. I've had non-believers telling me, I don't know what's going on anymore. I can't even open my mouth at work for being accused of um, mispronouncing somebody. Um, and everything looks out of control, believe me. You got a wooden cross that's a tree. You got the Savior naked there, crown of thorns. You got the garden tomb. Believe me, God's in control. He, his bones weren't broken. God would not accept a, a Passover lamb if any bones were broken. Exodus chapter 12. Um, God's in control. It must have looked crazy on that Friday night. But oh, what a Sunday morning. <laughs> The apostles probably thought, man, God, God lost. The Messiah lost. It's all over. What do we do? Does life even have meaning? Sunday morning, it's like, okay, God won. God won. King Jesus conquered the grave. And, um, but Jesus set the example for us. You humble yourself, and instead of thinking about what you deserve, Jesus deserved nothing but the greatest reputation ever. He deserved nothing but worship. Instead, he made himself of no reputation, became a man, and then humbled himself even to the point of death, even the death on the cross, the most shameful way to die. He did all that for us. Why did he die on the cross? Because we needed that. There's no way for us to go to heaven without the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice, the ultimately worthy Lamb of God to be sacrificed for us. Then, verses 9 to 11, Paul says, Therefore, because Jesus lowered himself, therefore God also highly exalted him, lifted him up, and has given him the name which is above every name. Okay? Don't waste time. I wasted months doing this as a new believer, trying to figure out, I wonder what that name is. It wasn't like he gave him a new name. He just took Jesus' name and made that name the ultimate name. It tells us in the very next verse, 
given him the name which God exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, even the unsaved, even the demons, even Satan will have to bow before King Jesus, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Lord, is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, so Jesus, one of the things he did by becoming a man and dying on the cross for us, he did this to set an example for us, okay? An example of humble service, so that James, his half-brother, could tell us in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You know we're going to get crowns and rewards, believers, for being faithful to Jesus. We're going to get rewards in the hereafter. And guess what? I don't even think we should focus on that. Because it's God's job to distribute the crowns. And when you see in heaven, what are they doing? They're throwing the crowns back. Back at the throne saying, you deserve this. It's our job to focus on the cross. Okay? And um, it's our job to, to deny ourselves. Say, Lord, you handle the exaltation, the crown stuff. That's none of my business. That's above my pay grade. I need to deny myself, deny my own sinful desires, and then pick up the cross the cross is whatever mission. That was Jesus' mission. What is your mission? What is your cross? Okay? You need to be in prayer and in God's word or you'll never figure out what God's mission for your life is. But you need to deny yourself, pick up that cross, and then you follow Jesus. Follow Jesus where? In the path of obedience to the Father. Okay? Amen. That's our job. And we do that. If we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, he will exalt us. But it's our job to humble ourselves and to serve others. You're not, you're not too important. Okay, God became a man. He was the Jewish Messiah. And mothers were saying, we're pretty sure he's the Jewish Messiah. We want him to bless our little children. And the apostles said, no, he's, his mission is too important. He's too important to bless little children. And what did, what did Jesus say? Bring, bring him to me. If God the Son became a man... And he could take time out of his busy schedule saving us from our sins if he can spend time to acknowledge little people. That's a big deal. That's why I'm, I'm always messing with the little kids. It terrorizes them at first. You know, I'll go like this. And when their teachers aren't looking, when they're marching them to recess and stuff, and sometimes I'll go, Poof, and then they start doing it back, and then their teacher catches them and yells. So this is Dr. Fernandez. He's a, he's a very important man. I said, I don't, I don't know what got into these kids. And, um, but eventually they realize I'm just kidding with them. And, you know, so one of my high school students once asked me, said, Doc, why are you, why are you always messing with the little kids? And I said, because my God created them. And my God became a man, and he died for them. And I'm going to just let them walk by and not acknowledge their existence? Okay? And, and by the way, maybe you're not a high school teacher who teaches Bible. Maybe you don't teach college Bible classes. Maybe you're not a pastor. Maybe you don't teach a home fellowship. Maybe you don't do all those great big things, okay? Guess what? The little things are the most powerful. Amen. Sometimes I'll ask myself, how was Jesus displayed in my life? I'm like, well, not in my classroom. I bombed the whole day. How was Jesus displayed in my life? I was like, you know what? That little kid. 
that I gave him a fist pump. I'm always getting that wrong. People go to shake my hand, and I'm like that. And then I switch, and they switch. But every once in a while, I get it right. And a little kid has a big smile on his face. And then he's out there second grade when they're playing, and I'm walking around the campus. Hi, Doc. And he's like, like a celebrity, because he know he, everybody thinks he's Doc's buddy. You know, I don't even know the kid's name, but sometimes, how is Jesus displayed in your life? It might be the little things. There was one time at All Star Lane, so I just told a lady, God bless you, behind the register, and she just started weeping. And um, I said, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, yeah. And she didn't give me the details, but I just prayed that God would help her through and this and that and everything. And she thanked me and moved on. Now, it was Lady McDonald's who was limping on her leg who had just been in a car accident. She didn't want prayer. <laughs> so I had to pray and pray quiet. I didn't want to take the lady off. She's tough enough to work. After Two days after a car accident, she's probably tough enough to whoop on me. So I'll just, I'll just pray in silence for her. But God the Son became a man. We'll pick this up next week. But God the Son became a man. Are you following his example? You know, hopefully you're trusting him for salvation. Okay? Acknowledging that he's your Lord, but you're also following his example. You don't go to heaven by following his example, by the way. But once you are saved, it's your job to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To humble yourself, to put others' needs before your own. You know, Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. Jesus told us, everybody, we focus a lot on love God, everything you got, love your neighbors yourself. But Jesus also gave a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. Do we love each other that way? I doubt it, but let's at least move in that direction through the power of the Holy Spirit as God renews our minds. I'm going to close with this. God the Son became a man. What are you going to do about it? God the Son became a man. What are you going to do about it? Let me tell you, if you're not a believer, today is the day of salvation. You better trust in King Jesus for salvation. Okay? Trust in him alone for salvation. And if he saves you, he'll start changing you from within. If you're already a believer, God the Son became a man. Does, you, does your life manifest that? Or does it look like it's just business as usual for thousands of years of humanity on the planet Earth? God the Son became a man. What are you going to do about it? You know what you've got to do about it? You've got to humble yourself. You've got to praise Jesus and thank him for his salvation. Thank him for his grace. Then you got to humble yourself, put others' needs before your own, love God with everything you got, love your neighbors yourself, try to reach that point where you can even love one another as Jesus loved us through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. And so when you leave this church and then throughout the week, is Jesus going to be displayed in your life? Because God the Son became a man. The Word became flesh. God the Son became a man. Brothers and sisters, what are you going to do about it?